Welcome to Run This World. I am your host, Nicole DeBoom. Thank you for tuning in today. I am excited to share that Run This World is officially back. I mean, it was already officially back because I already did an episode called Becoming Bionic. Today's episode is going to sort of be part two, which you'll hear in a second. Um, But we are back after a short hiatus. I can promise you that I'm going to continue to have amazing conversations with people who are inspiring and making change in this world. I cannot assure you that it will be done on any specific timeline because you know what I've realized over the first five years doing this podcast is that sometimes you just have to So today I I'm doing a live podcast. In fact, almost all podcasts going forward will be live. And if you're in tune with me on social media and you happen to be available when it's live, you can tune in by downloading the Podbean app. How cool is that? Um, So today, today, I have the honor of interviewing a semi-pro OCR, which is Obstacle Course Racer, and fellow Spondy Warrior, Amber Johnson. Amber, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. So here's the funniest part about you and I coming together. I should have known you from the endurance sports world. I mean, I've had other OCR athletes on the show. I had Rose Wetzel. I've had some other people who dabble in that world. Um, but I didn't. I didn't know you from that world. No, nope, yeah. Was on the almost 10,000 person Spondy Facebook support group for people who basically have broken backs and we're going through the process of figuring out what the hell to do with that. I find that funny. What do you think? Oh, no, it's it is. It's uncanny. When I first saw you in there, we first, you know, connected. It was like, oh, my gosh, somebody else that's that's, you know, kind of crazy and runs and does all of these, you know, obnoxious sports while, you know, a lot of people with this disease and this problem are like, oh, my gosh, I can't do anything. My world's over. And we have like the total opposite attitude, which I love. And I think like that's the world meant for us to connect. So it's perfect. (laughs) It does. And, you know, that attitude is what we're going to really dissect today. But before we do that, let's dissect a little bit more about you. Yeah, absolutely. Ask away. I want to know like where you came from and uh, a little bit of your background that eventually led us to coming together. So let's just start with a little bit of your childhood. Where'd you grow up? Yes, I grew up in Ohio in a small town, Northwest Ohio. Um, Was always an athlete. I was when I was younger, I always wanted to be a gymnast. I'd, you know, flip my way around the house and anything I could hang off of, I did. And just, you know, was always super active. And my parents put me in ballet to start. And I'm not going to lie, I absolutely hated it. Um, you know, dancing across the floor to get a sucker at the end of the day was just not what I wanted. I wanted something to be serious. And I wanted to be an athlete, you know. And even as a little kid, I was like, this isn't hard enough. And not that that ballet, ballet is not hard, because it is. But at the level I was at, it was just the very entry beginner part. So I was like, this isn't what I want to do. <laughs> and then they, they got me into gymnastics. And um, I fell in love. And uh, that's ultimately actually what probably led to breaking my back, um, just being flo- so flexible. And, you know, while you're young and your body is trying to 
grow and I'm putting it into all these contortion shapes and, you know, just, oh, look what I can do. I'm so flexible. And really it was like, oh, I shouldn't have been doing those things, but who knew? <laughs> um, and then after I got out of gymnastics, I competed for four or five years competitively across, you know, multiple states and um, had to stop. I wound up having to have knee surgery um, tore my meniscus and, um, they went and cleaned that up. And then from there I cheered competitively. I did high school tennis, high school track. I pole vaulted. Um, I actually still hold my high school's pole vault record, which is kind of funny. Uh, whenever I go back, I'm like, Hey, look, it's still there. All right, cool. Um, so I was just always an athlete. And then when, even when I got to college, I still cheered. Um, it was just, you know, it was my passion. It was the closest thing to gymnastics I could do. And then when I graduated college, I was like, man, what do I do now? <laughs> I'm so used to having a sport to train for, something to fill my time and keep me busy and, you know, in shape. And I dabbled, you know, I did a, did a 5K and did a 10K. And my, you know, really good friend at the time convinced me to do a half marathon. And I was like, I hate running. Oh, why am I doing this? But I did it anyways. And then we did a mud run. And I really enjoyed that. Um Actually, take that even before that, I dabbled in uh, bodybuilding and figure competitions, did really well with it. But I'm going to be honest, the diet sucks. And I just don't like to mentally do that to myself. So I was like, no, nope, not for me. And that's when I started dabbling in the running. And then when we did after the half marathon, we did a mud run. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm hooked. I was like, this is what I want to do. I'm like, there's obstacles. You get to get dirty. They're still running. But like the obstacles are so much fun. And really just started focusing on it and training on it. And um, that's what I've done for the last, like, gosh, seven years, probably. I guess wow. I really started in, like, probably 2015. Um, I did a few in, like, 2013, 2014, even probably 2012. Like, I was still kind of, like, just dabbling, you know, here and there. I'd go do one, nothing super serious. But 2015 was when I joined the um, Machete Madness pro racing team and um, really started, you know, training, you know, changed the whole way I was training and just focusing on just – OCR. Oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. Let, let me tell you what's interesting is that you, you did a lot of sports growing up yeah. that really, um, have some conflict between the intersection of female and athlete. And I, this is like near and dear to my heart because I ended up writing my senior college thesis on this exact topic. I called no it. No way. The female athlete and oxymoron. And I was just so interested in like why we struggled so much with our body image and all of these things. And here's what mm -hmm. I found is that women and girls who competed in sports where they had to wear more scantily clad outfits and who were judged, you know, based on their so called performance, but probably also on appearance, ended up with higher rates of eating disorders and, oh, yeah. you know, more poor body image issues and self esteem issues. And you literally did like every sport <laughs> that, <laughs> that, you know, I mean, you were judged in gymnastics. You were probably judged even in ballet as a little kid and in mm -hmm. and later like pole vaulting, you're wearing those little skivvies running around, <laughs> you know, I mean, oh, yeah. as an adult, you know, well, and, and then even the bodybuilding, the figure competition, yes. literally oh. based on how you look. And that was honestly, it was, and it's funny you bring that up because it is one of the reasons why, I mean, don't get me wrong. Those at their athletes, what they put their bodies through and what they do throughout the year to get down to such a lean figure, but it's not, I mean, it's not healthy. 
you know, and people look and they're like, I'm going to look like that year round. And I'm like, it's not maintainable. It's hell. I mean, it is pure torture on your body. And, um, I just, that's where I was like, you know what? I would rather just eat well, even though, even though I'm a little fuller and I've always been muscular, which I'm okay with that. But I was like, I don't want to look like a stick figure year round or be that thin. Cause that diet's horrible. And it's now knowing too much, my, all the, my back issues and everything, it's a good thing I didn't because that would have made my degeneration even worse because I wasn't feeling my body to be able to try to heal. Yes, totally. I mean, I guess I wonder a little bit if you had to restrict yourself in those years, if that could have been one of the small factors that played into the bone issues that you're facing now. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm no doubt that it, that it, that's all affected it. Um, I mean, again, you know, from gymnastics to cheerleading, you know, I, mean, I, I used to tumble, you know, we'd be in parades in my hometown and I would tumble through the parade on the, on the, you know, road, um, tennis courts tumbling. I mean, I would tumble wherever. And it's like that impact and that, you know, that flexion in the back and the, or the extension in the back and then the landing and everything. It's like, you know, when I'm young, it was no big deal. And as I've gotten older, it's like, man, that really probably wasn't good in my body. And then because it was already trying to, you know, basically eat itself and degenerate, then you go into this severe diet of, you know, 1200 calories at a, you know, at a max, and, you know, no carbs, you know, low fats, all of, you know, your body doesn't have the nutrients then to try to make your bones strong and things get brittle. So I, I'm sure it definitely helped lead to some of these issues. Yes, for sure. Um, just a quick sound check. It sounds like you're kind of going in and out a little bit. So, oh, okay. Um, oh, there you go. Is that better? One of okay. the on these live shows is you. You literally have to just talk right into your computer. Yeah, exactly. I don't have to turn your. <laughs> um, you know, it's so it's crazy because you talk about your athletic background, but there's something really big that happened to your body when you were 18 years old that um i find interesting <laughs> yeah it well it led to my diagnosis so yeah absolutely yeah. well <laughs> let's uh let's talk about what happened potentially on the day you turned 18. yes yes so um at 18 i found out that i was pregnant which was pretty life-changing considering you know athletics is obviously a big part of my life and i did have a scholarship for pole vault and cheerleading and, you know, I was ready to run off to New York and leave Ohio behind and, you know, start this new life and everything, you know, like all 18 year olds think they're going to do. And surprise, just kidding, you're pregnant. Like, say what? Like, I mean, talk about a world flipped upside down. It was just, you know, and at first, honestly, it was devastating. And then, hi, you know, give it a few months. It's like, nope, okay, I did it. I'm going to you know, I'm going to have a child. We're going to make the most of this. And we're going to, you know, he, you know, here at the time, I didn't know if it was a he or a she, I actually have a boy. Um, I have a son who's just turned 17, two days ago. So crazy how fast time flies. Um, but throughout my whole pregnancy, I had a lot of, you know, pain in my pubic bone, pain in my back, pain in my hips. And of course, you know, I was still working out. I wasn't really as much of a runner at that point in my life, but I was weightlifting a lot and still doing, you know, I was still very athletic throughout my whole pregnancy, which my doctor approved because I was athletic and young prior to getting pregnant. And after I delivered, I mean, gosh, <laughs> the doctors were, the doctor almost missed delivering my son because I still had upper abs even the day I delivered. <laughs> oh um, my God. <laughs> yeah. Like it, when, when people are like, oh, look at like my belly photos. And I'm like, mine are a little weird looking because like I literally have abs and this like little basketball belly. 
And, but it helped with my delivery because I was able to push so much stronger because I had, you know, I had core muscles to help kind of shoot them out for lack of a better way to say it. And the doctor literally walked in, caught and walked out of the room. I think he was in there for all of like 90 seconds, like basically smacked him on the ass. All right, he's good. Here you go, nurse, do your thing. And I'm out of here. I was like, man, I have the wrong profession. Um, not that it's always wow. that easy, but it was a very, you know, the delivery was fairly simple and no epidural Thank you know, now knowing all my back issues, thankfully I didn't have one. Cause it a lot of times causes more problems. Wait, hold on. You didn't have any drugs? No. And, um, <laughs> I know this happens. Like I wish my birth had gone that way. What's really funny is I had my kid when I was 40, you're 35 and you have a 17 year old. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you could be my kid. I mean, kind of not really close, but, um, I don't even think I had my period when I was 14 yet, but okay. So backing up even further, um, I'm kind of, I'm curious and, and you can share what you're comfortable with. Like how, uh, this obviously wasn't planned. No, know? not and at all. <laughs> you just, you made the decision because we do have a decision to make. Mm-hmm. You know? um, yep. Am I going to have a baby and become a mom and maybe not go to college or maybe, you know, my life is going to change forever. So you made the decision to move forward and was the yep. boyfriend or father, you know, in your life at that time? He was at that point. Um, he wasn't for very long after I would, despite trying to make it work and trying to make it work is just, you know, it wasn't meant to be, we were young. I mean, he was a few years older than me, but still it was just, you know, he was the first guy I ever had sex with, to be completely honest. I mean, that was who I lost my virginity to. And I happened to be that, you know, fairy tale of, oh, the first guy you sleep with knocks you up. Like, again, I'm like, what? This would happen to me. I should have known this would happen to me because all the weird things happened to me. I mean, he probably thought he was ready or he did. Exactly. Exactly. He thought he was, and you know, you know, we're going to do this and everything else. And I was very mature for my age. Um, You know, when all my friends found out that I was pregnant, everybody was like, you know, out of any of us, if it had to be somebody, we're glad it's you. And I was like, well, thanks. Of course, you're glad it wasn't you. Like, you know, it's a hard situation to be in. And they're like, no, no, no. We mean this in a good way is that you're the only one who's responsible and mature enough to be able to handle the situation. And then I was like, oh, well, damn, thanks. Okay. I, you know, I'll take that. That's a really good compliment. What was it like walking around like high school? I mean, I think you were a senior, right? Uh, So actually I found out, um, basically at my high school graduation is when I found out I was pregnant. I found out like two weeks before I graduated high school. So as a freshman in college, I was walking around campus trying to hide my baby bump, which was not fun. (laughs) So where did you go to college? So my undergrad is from Heidelberg University in Tiffin, Ohio. This is so interesting. The next um, podcast I'll be doing is with a woman named Sarah Vaughn, who is a professional runner, in- endurance athlete. And um, in college, she got pregnant at CU. And they did not have very good support for pregnant women athletes. And uh, she started a foundation that gives scholarships to college pregnant women in college who want to continue to support their athletics as well as start their family. 
It's that really- is, yeah, I'm going to have to look into that and definitely listen when she's on because I would love to connect with her because it's obviously a passion of mine too to, you know, there wasn't a lot of support. Um, I mean, obviously, I had to give up my scholarship to go to New York because I just didn't have a support system there to be able to help through, you know, a pregnancy and everything else. So my family was in Tiffin, so I had all of them there. So I was able to, you know, stay with my boyfriend at the time and we had an apartment and, um, you know, his parents were there, my parents were there, my siblings, you know, we had aunts, uncles, you know, people Mm -hmm. around us to be able to help thank, you know, thank God, because without that, it would have been, I mean, it was, it was hard as hell as it was, but it would have been even freaking harder. So that made a big difference. Can we talk for a minute about the village? Everyone always says it takes a village. (laughs) Oh yeah. Just named off like 10 people and you gave up you know, the scholarship and yeah. what was the scholarship for? Uh, cheerleading and pole vault. Oh my gosh. Okay. So yeah. clearly you're not going to be doing either of those things while pregnant. So that was going to no. be for a year or two anyway. But, yep. um, so I tried, I, um, I delivered him January 2nd and then track practices started picking up like six to eight weeks after I had him. And the track coach is like, all right, you know, if you want to come into practices and, you know, cause I told her, I was like, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to still be on the track team here. Cause when she found out that I was staying locally, she was already trying to scout me, but it was a D3 school. So there was no scholarship opportunities. But when I was there, I was like, well, Hey, if I'm going to be here, I might as well do it. And the pain from my hips and back and everything, I just, I couldn't do it. I tried, it was, it was too fast. My body wasn't healed. I wasn't ready. That was when I, you know, when I delivered him, actually right after I delivered him is when they did my back x-rays and found out that um, my back was broken. And that was when I was diagnosed with the spondylolisthesis. Actually, at the time, I was only spondylosis. It wasn't near as bad as it is now. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So you gave birth, this like kind of fast, crazy birth, right? Yeah. And um, <laughs> with no drugs and you're just like, Bloop. and then you were like, oh, things are hurting in a weird way. Was yeah. That- so when I left the hospital, the whole time at the hospital, I I didn't get up and walk around. I wasn't really moving a whole lot. And the nurses and doctors, you know, they asked me, they're like, you haven't been up a whole lot. Like, are you okay? And I was like, no, honestly, something feels wrong. I'm like, I feel like my hips are locked. And they're like locked. I was like, I feel like my pubic bone, like won't move. Like my hips are not moving in the way they should. And they just kind of gaffed me off, you know, oh, young mom, you know, never given birth before that whole, like, kind of like, whatever, like brush it under the rug. And I kept telling them, like, listen, like, I just gave birth with no epidural, no pain meds. Like, I can handle pain. Something is wrong. I know my body. And they sent me home anyways. And, of course, it was in the middle of an ice storm in Ohio. So, you know, we're focused on the baby and getting him inside, and rightfully so. So I was just kind of slowly making my way, like, shuffling across the ice. And I wasn't able to get up walk up the stairs because I couldn't, I couldn't move my feet far enough apart without being an excruciating, like worse than delivery pain. So I had to put, I just used pressure and I kind of like put my hand on the, um, goodness, like the, you know, the, the railing and then my other hand on the wall. And I just kind of like picked myself up and like heave hoed my legs forward. And I did that for every step. And then I think it was my dad actually, it was like, wait, where's Amber at? He came out and he's like, here, let me help you. Like, I know you're sore and everything. And I'm like, yeah, sore. Like, okay. Cause now I'm starting to think I'm just like in my head or something. Like, is this normal? I'm like, this just doesn't seem right. Didn't sleep that whole night. Um, not because the baby was awake, just cause I was in so much pain <laughs> and went to the doctor's office the next day and was like, look, I need to see my doc. And they said, no, we don't have any walk-ins. You got to go to the ER. So I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. So I go to the ER 
they're trying to just get me on a table and they have to pump me full of so many drugs just to even get me a little lay flat. And I'm fighting them the whole time. So I was, you know, I was planning, I was breastfeeding and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, how much of this medicine is going to get into my breast milk? Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to wind up drugging my baby. Like, this is not what I want. So I'm like, you know, willing to forego my own comfort to like be able to keep breastfeeding. And they assure me, no, no, it's fine. They'll like such a small amount gets in there. It won't even affect him. And I'm like, it better not. Like, I'm going to hurt somebody if it does. And they finally take x-rays. And the whole time I'm still getting the whole, you know, oh, young mom, you know, thing. And um, actually, my mom almost pinned a nurse against the wall because she's like, if one more person says that, I'm going to show you what pain is. <laughs> like, I'm like, trust me, my daughter can handle herself. If she says something is wrong, then something's wrong. They did the x-rays and I had an inch gap between my pubic bone and my SI joints. So I had three extra inches in my hips. So my hips are basically free floating. So the the bones were, yeah. So when I was like, my hips are locked, it's because the bones had literally shifted into a way that they were locked. They were like touching each other in a way they shouldn't be touching, which is why I was in such pain. But when they discovered that, they were also like, hey, do you know your back is broken? And I was like, excuse me, (laughs) what? (laughs) Like, no, I don't know my back is broken. And they're like, oh, yeah, you've got some degeneration of, you know, L5S1, but no big deal. You know, you'll be fine. Wait, hold on. You just told me my back is broken and I'll be fine. And I have a disc that's degenerating at 18 years old, but like I can't walk right now. Like what is going on? But they were so focused on my hips and the, you know, fact that when you deliver your pelvis separates, that's normal. But most women's, it goes back together. Mine did not. (laughs) So... You know, we dealt with that. They basically just put me on bed rest and wrapped me like a mummy for, you know, eight weeks. And um, uh, that was pretty much the plan. You spent the first eight weeks of your son's life on bed rest? Yep. (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry. And, And in school. And in school, yeah. So luckily, we were on Christmas break, and I had already reached out to all of my professors and let them know, like, I will, you know, my due date was January 6th. So it was right around when classes were going to pick back up. So I knew I was going to miss a couple of weeks of school. Mm -hmm. And I told all my professors ahead of time, like, look, you got to work with me here. I may not be able to be in class. Like, obviously, I just gave birth. You know, I mean, I got to be able to heal. It's icy. It's Ohio. Like, I can't be walking around, you know, doing that, um, you know, risking falling, et cetera. And then when I got put on bed rest, I'm like, all right, well, now I really can't come to class. So they all worked with me and let me do, you know, my dad went and would pick up my homework or my mom would go pick up my homework for me. And, you know, they, the school did a, a pretty good job working with me. Um, after a few weeks, though, they were like, all right, we can't do this much longer. We're going to have to drop you from the course. So I had I, the college is very old. So there's not now there are, you know, elevators in all the buildings and everything. But back then there wasn't. So I was like, well, if you don't, you're going to have to move all my classes to first floors because you're not handicap accessible and I can't walk upstairs. I wasn't supposed to be walking at all, but I refused to go to school in a wheelchair because I was just like, I'm 18. I just, I'm already the chick with a baby. I don't want to be the chick with a baby in a wheelchair. Like, you know, I'm just like, oh my God, like the world is like coming to an end kind of thing. Wow. So they worked with me and I started walking sooner than what the doctors wanted me to. And it was painful, but again, it's you know, being stubborn sometimes is a good thing and sometimes not. So <laughs> this is probably one of those not a good thing times. Um, but I went back to class and, you know, made it work and got caught up on everything and, you know, finished. I still graduated in four years. So it was, I could have graduated early, but um, they, uh, there were some issues with like a couple of classes. They were like, well, we don't really want to do the whole early graduation thing. So you got to just keep taking classes. I'm like, that's stupid, but it's all right. They wanted, they wanted your money. Pretty, pretty much. much. Pretty much. 
I would think that this at this point is where the village really came in handy because if you're in bed rest and you have a newborn, you, you need constant support. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when your parents would, who I assume was your first uh, level of support found out that you were pregnant or when you shared that with them, how was the reaction? Oof, oof, <laughs> shock, denial, um, so I was the first person in my family to actually go to college, uh, go to a four year, like right out of high school, go to college. So it was, you know, a very big deal in my family of like, Amber's going to college. This is amazing. And she's got a scholarship. Oh my gosh. And then uh, just kidding. Now I'm pregnant. So it was like, whoa, pump the brakes, hold on. Like, you know, we'll support whatever decision you make, but like, you know, we really got to think about this. And, and we weren't, you know, by any means well off, you know, a well off family. So it was the scholarship was a huge help to be able to, you know, pay for school. So there was, you know, a lot of conversations around that, but I was an avid believer of, you know, nope, I did the deed. I'm going to own up to, you know, the responsibilities and outcome and I'm going to make it work. And I just, one thing I'm very big on is, a. Uh, I don't like being a statistic, <laughs> even though I'm a statistic in a lot of things. I'm always like, I'm the anti-statistic because I'm the one that like people are like, oh, this will never happen. And I'm like, I'm going to make it happen. So I just have that grit and determination to no matter what it is, teen pregnancy, um, you know, I'm a not quite executive level, but senior manager level at a very large corporation. Like, you know, I've, I've made it, um, you know, I've, I've done all the things and I did it as a single parent and now I'm married. So now I'm doing it as a wife and top of a parent and actually, you know, military spouse. So that adds its own level of, you know, <laughs> difficulties and things that you got to deal with. But I just look at anything that happens and goes, you know what? It's, this is life. Sometimes you get shit thrown at you and sometimes you get a unicorn thrown at you. It's just a matter of what are you going to do with it? Perfect way to sum it up. <laughs> and it sounds like you always try to turn the shit into unicorns. Pretty much. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Obviously you're tough. Obviously you're, you're strong. You, like your friend said, you're practical, you're responsible like you said, you're owning up to things. I also think, you know, on, on the topic that we actually came together about, I think you're very in tune with your body. And, you know, bodies and minds are incredibly connected, especially in oh, endurance gosh, yeah. sports. But I, it's interesting because a lot of people would have walked away from that birth with all the issues you had and just been like, I guess this is just childbirth. But you knew even at 18, you were like, this is not right. Yeah. So after eight weeks on bed rest, were you recovered enough? Like, did you, did your pelvic bones go change or move or, you know, how did you continue yeah. with regular life? So it probably took a good, I mean, the first year after I gave birth, I had sciatica so bad down my right leg that, I mean, I couldn't feel my big toe for a year. Um, I would have drop foot occasionally, um, but, you know, again, nobody wanted to know oh, you're too young to have those issues and just, you know, would gaff me off. And of course, you know, being a single parent, I didn't have a lot of money to go spend on physical therapy and, you know, x-rays and everything else. And I was like, all right, well, whatever. And luckily, I was actually going to school for athletic training. So the trainers at my college who were my professors and I was working with, you know, doing clinical hours all the time you know, they would help adjust my back and say like, yep, your hips are out of alignment because my, my SI joint. So I get, it's called sacral torsion and inominate rotation. Um, so it's basically like 
your sacrum sits, you know, should sit kind of flat, maybe a little bit of an angle. Mine will move on like any axis basically. And it would also throw my hips out of place. So one of the trainers was really good. She had learned a manipulation way to kind of realign them without having to pop anything. And it was just using your own muscle control to help pull things back into place. And without her, I don't know that I ever would have gotten back into athletics again, to be honest. Um, so Karen, if you happen to be listening, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, because you saved my body for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, it was painful, but, you know, they helped work on me and, you know, we had practice massage techniques and, you know, um, goodness, like, uh, t- not tens, it's stronger than tens unit. I'm totally drawing a blank on what it's called, but you're like, you know, like electrical stimulation and mm-hmm. we had all the equipment and we were learning how to use it. So it was like, well, Hey, Amber's got, hey, Amber's got issues. Let's pop her on the table and we'll do it on you. So I was kind of like the, you know, the crash test dummy, like here, go ahead and work on me. But it did help. And we were able to get things, you know, more squared away. And I was able to slowly strengthen my body to keep things in better alignment. Um, but over the years, it's always gone, you know, out of place. And I've had moments of like, okay, can't do that right now because I'm like locked up or, you know, something was out of the line. Um, but even then, I mean, it was up until I was up until this past year when I was, you know, 34 turning 35, that a doctor finally listened to me and said, you know, cause I told him, I'm like, look, I haven't ran without pain in six years. I'm like something's wrong. Like something, actually I ran last time I ran without pain. It was, um, I did a 50 K and, uh, I ran it with my now husband. We were just friends at the time. I ran it with him and a bunch of our, you know, running, um, running friends, you know, corn fed, um, up there in Ohio, the crazy mutter, or I guess corn fed's more Indiana, but crazy mutter muckers in Ohio. So I love all you guys. They were all there. We're running it together. It was a great time. But after that race, I was just constantly in pain every time I ran. And, you know, it was, I was diagnosed from everything but like piriformis syndrome to tight IT bands, weak quads, weak glutes, weak hamstrings, all these crazy things. And I'm like, people listen, like I'm five foot two, 135 pounds. And I can deadlift, you know, I think my max is like 215. Like that's a good chunk, especially with somebody with a broken back. Like it's, you know, I don't think my hamstrings are weak. I don't think my glutes are weak. Yeah. And my doctor in Texas finally was like, let's do some x-rays and MRIs and see what's going on. Cause I thought that I, um, I thought I had a torn labrum in my hip. Uh, My best friend's brother-in-law is a physical therapist and he's a triathlete. And when I was talking with him at her baby shower, he was like, I guarantee I know what's wrong with you. And I'm like, well, tell me, cause nobody else can figure it out. Like I'm open to anything right now. And he tells me, you know, check for a hip labrum tear. And I'm just like, oh man, I'm too young for hip surgery. Come on. I'm turning like 35 years old. This is nuts. And he's like, you know, a lot of people have them. And sure enough, I do have a torn labrum in my hip as well as an extra, two extra bones and uh, two um, cysts. But the doctor, the hip doctor, hip surgeon looked at me and was like, yeah, I'm not touching your, your hip until you get your back checked out. He's like, because your back's a disaster. And I'm like, oh, I was hoping he wouldn't see those MRIs. <laughs> I was like, they're pretty bad. <laughs> it's crazy. It's like I, our MRIs, mine looks like I shouldn't even be basically moving. Like it looks like you, people who look at my MRIs come out of the room and they're like, Oh my God. What <laughs> yes. My, are like my, twice as bad as mine. And like we put them up on Facebook and whatever is like a, you know, a badge of, a badge of honor. Like, we're walking around going like, 
we're still walking. We're still doing sports and our backs look like this. Yes. It's crazy. I know. So my, uh, my surgeon's PA, who I love her. She's amazing. Um, Central Texas Spine Institute. Huge shout out. You guys have like given me my life back. She walks in the very first day I'm there. My MRI is pulled up, you know, on the computer screen and she doesn't even like introduce herself. She just sees the image and goes, oh my God, that is terrible. And then she looks at me and goes, I'm so sorry. And I'm laughing. I'm like, you're good. It's fine. I know it's bad. I was like, I can see that it's bad. Like, I know what I'm looking at. And she's like, oh my gosh, no, seriously. I can't believe I just responded like that. That's so bad. I'm like, no, it's okay. Like, I would rather you be honest. Like that was a real reaction because it is that bad. She's like, how much pain are you in right now? I'm like, standing here, none. And she just looks at me and she's like, hold on. I'm getting the surgeon. I'm getting the doctor. I'm like, okay. And he comes in and his reaction's like, oh, that's pretty bad. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. And um, I mean, he, he, they're one of like the top 100 spine surgeons in the country. So I mean, they're amazing, amazing group of people. And they do, I mean, so many, he does like two to three spinal fusions a day. Like this is what he does. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, all right. He's like, all right. So pain level, you know, we go through all the rigmarole and everything. I'm like, look, as long as I'm not running, I'm not in pain. But if I run, I can't walk for three days. He's like, you're running? I'm like, yes. And he's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, a lot. But that's a whole, I need a psychologist for that. And he just starts laughing. And I'm like, I'm just, you asked, I'm telling you. And, um, you know, I have to laugh. (laughs) We have to pause for a minute and talk about pain. So they make you do this stupid pain. They're like, what's your pain? And it's like one to 10. And like, I think, you know, for people have different pain tolerances. So Mm -hmm. I learned that if you don't say seven or eight, then they don't take you seriously. But for me, I'm like, oh, it's a solid three. Like definitely like a three. And that's horrible for me. But the doctor's going to be like, oh, well, you can live with that. So it's really weird because I feel like instead of a pain scale, they should do a scale that's like, what percentage of your normal self are you? Yes. You know, one of the big things that I found about surgery that's, it's, it's frustrating because you want to just be told it's time for you to have surgery. You must have it now. But what I found is that it's your decision to have your surgery. 100%. You have to make that decision. And it's based on whatever factors you decide that, you know, enough's enough right? Yeah. That's so, very fair. It's, and that's one thing I'll give my surgeon was that when I walked in, I told him, you know, look, I don't want a bandaid. I'm not doing, you will not stick a needle in me. I will not do a steroid injection because it just causes more damage in the long run. And if I'm doing all of this while I feel this bad, imagine what I'm going to do if I don't feel it. And he just looked at me, he goes, that's a fair point. He goes, no, surgery is your only option. He goes, so we can get you in in like two weeks. And I'm like, okay, wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> two weeks is a little quick for me. <laughs> I get like, hold on. It's a little scary. Although I just said I want to fix. I was not expecting surgery. And especially mine had to be done in two stages, two weeks apart. So that was even scarier. So he's like, yeah, two surgeries, two weeks apart. No big deal. And I'm like, huh, wait, huh? What? No, 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 no. Back up. <laughs> what? <laughs> but, you know, they were awesome through the whole thing and really explained it all. And, you know, I, I tried to push, of course, because I mean, again, I'm stubborn. So I'm like, all right, so if we only replace the discs and fuse from the front, 
do we have to fuse from the back? Like what, you know, what are the odds of it working? And he's like, no, it's your spine is broke off. Like there is, if we don't fix it from the back, it's only going to do it again. And I'm like, well, shit. All right, fine. That makes sense. I'm like, man, I was really hoping that wasn't the answer, but, but, you know, people have to advocate for themselves. Cause even when the PA, you know, she said, she goes, if you ever read my notes, it's going to sound like you're in the most excruciating pain in your life. You can't walk, you can't function, you can't go to the bathroom, you can't do this. She goes, because most people with your back, that's where they would be. She goes, I don't know how you're doing all of this and your pain tolerance is ridiculous. She's like, so I'm going to write this up as if you were a normal person. She's like, and I mean that in the best way possible. I'm like, oh no, I know I'm not normal. It's okay. (laughs) I was like, because yes, my pain tolerance and my husband attests to that. He's like, this woman can handle, he's like, I've seen you after shoulder surgery, when people are like, you know, and popping pills around the clock left and right, I was off narcotics in three days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you you know, know, I, I don't like taking them. I don't like how I feel and I don't need them. So why am I taking them? This is all, all the things you're saying, I think, speak to what everybody wants. Nobody yeah. wants to have surgery. Yep. Nobody wants to be on drugs. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to have to go through these difficult things that may or may not even work because yeah. that's the risk of having these surgeries. Like they're very clear. It might not work. Right. And you're just like, but please tell me it's a hundred percent going to work. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Work for everybody. You know, I think let's push pause for a minute and just share a little more. You and I shared the same uh, diagnosis basically. Mm-hmm. So you, why don't you share, uh, I, I know that there are multiple different, um, disorders. I don't, I don't know if they're diseases. I don't even know what spondylolisthesis is exactly. It, yeah. It's a disease. I think I'm pretty sure it's classified as a disease. Um, but and, then there's also like spondylolysis and spondylolysis. Like there's yes. like, yeah, there's three different levels, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So mine started out as pondylolysis because my, although, and a pars defect. So a pars defect is where the back of the vertebrae, basically like the spine of your vertebrae, if you run your thumb down your spine and you feel those bumps, those are your pars and the, the pars articularis, I believe is what the actual name of it is. It's where the, those, those ridges on your back connect to the vertebrae. That's that, what that junction is called. For mine, and I'm pretty sure for yours as well, is we have a pars defect where that spiny process actually breaks off. Well, that spiny process has a really important job to do, and that is to keep the vertebrae in line so that they don't shift forward or backward. Mine shifted forward to, I was, my, my MRIs were all laying down. So laying down, I was a grade two, uh, I think 18 millimeter shift forward which caused the disc underneath to bulge. I mean, it looks like it's just a blob, like it's just misshapen. It's just, I mean, you look at it, you're like, what is that supposed to be a disc? Like I thought it was supposed to be like this nice, perfect little, like, you know, re- like round rectangular thing. Mine looks like a blob. It's awful. Well, it did look like a blob. No, I don't have one. And then it caused the disc above it because it went on for so long for that disc to degenerate and herniate. So both of my discs had to be replaced. So they went in through my abdomen, through my stomach, and they took out all the disc material that was bad, put in titanium spacers. Um, They took bone grafting from my hip to put in between the spacer to help promote bone growth. And then they went in two weeks later from my back and they decompressed everything. So they basically realigned my spine um, and they were able to get mine completely realigned back, you know, the way it should be. 
they cleaned up um, they call it a laminectomy. They go in and kind of clean up any bone fragments or bone that's like started to grow in places it shouldn't because of the back being so out of alignment. Um, and then also some osteotomies as well, which is a very similar um, thing as well, where they, they're just basically cleaning up joint space. And then they took rods and screws and started, they fused from L4 to S1 in my back. So basically my entire like lower lumbar region. Yep. And um, is, um, I have a question. Yeah. Could you see if someone was looking at your back before your surgery, could you see that it was screwed up? Oh yeah. <laughs> it grossed my husband out. I'd be like, oh, come here. You guys can feel it. I'm like, run your thumb here. And you'd hit like a ledge. Like you could just like, you could see it and feel it. And everybody's like, okay, that's gross. Like if, yeah, if I was wearing like, if I was, you know, out on the beach, like we're scuba divers. So like we spend a lot of time in, you know, bathing suits and stuff. And, um, you know, people would like, kind of like, man, you got this really like big bump on your back. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's just, that's my little guy. <laughs> you know, Amber, I had it too. So I, I remember seeing that. <laughs> yes. And people were like, oh, my bump twin. I have it too. But it's like embarrassing because it looks like a tail. Yeah. You know it does, that movie, yeah. Um, Shallow Hal with. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> and at the very end, George Costanza was in it. I forget yes. his real life name. And um, he was like, I have a tail. But his was like the very bottom of his coccyx, I think, or whatever. Yes. I Somebody posted on my Instagram and they're like, dorsal fins are hot. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm kidding, but I'm just going to own it. I have a freaking dorsal fin. But. You know what's so amazing about these surgeries that we had? It's like you said, they're much more turnkey now. These yeah. surgeons, whether you have a neurosurgeon or an orthopedic spine specialist, they do these day in, day out. And the mm -hmm. risk of having an issue or not improving in some way is pretty low. It is. And, um, you know, my surgery went all sideways. And I'm going to share a little bit of that too with you because the guy that I ended up going with is just absolutely brilliant. He's, he served in um, Afghanistan. He's got a military background. I was like, Oh, fantastic. Him. He's got a work ethic, man. He's not going to fall asleep on the job. Right. You know? <laughs> and um, he's a neurosurgeon. And he said there were, you can choose this. The other thing that's brutal about anybody going into surgery, there are options. You know, mm -hmm. your guy faced you with, hey, we're going to do a front and a back. But you could choose. Like, it really, at the end of the day, you could say, well, maybe we just do this or that. Or you asked yeah. more questions to make sure. Um, my surgeon said we can do this front. It's called the A-lift. Yep. And if you do that, I can get you straighter. And we're going to put yeah. a more secure cage in. But yes. you've got this blood vessel. And this was really funny. He was on the phone with the blood vessel surgeon because you need two surgeons then, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. And the other guys also uh, military had served with him in Afghanistan. He was awesome. And he was like, whoa, your, your veins are humongous. That's <laughs> a medical term, by the way. Um, <laughs> and I was like very proud because I'm like, oh, that must mean I'm like a very fit person or something. Even if it doesn't, I, th I thought that was cool. Right. But, that's hilarious. <laughs> You know, by nature of being so thorough, it became very clear to me that by going in the front that there, I had a big, important vein right in front of where he needed to work. And in order to move it, it would be a little riskier. Yeah. So here's what we come to. Okay. I could be straighter and more secure if we do this front surgery. 
But if we do the back surgery, you could get almost as straight, but it won't be as much. It won't be quite as secure, but there's really very little risk. And where I am in my life at almost 50 and no longer a pro athlete or semi-pro in anything, and I I have a little still. She just turned 10. And my husband and I just talked and we said, we don't need to take the risk. Let's just go from the back. So here's the part for anybody facing this. It's very hard to make these decisions. Yeah. And you have to make them. Your surgeon is only there to advise you. And I find that so interesting. We have to advocate for ourselves through this whole process. We have to get the doctors in the medical field to, to really like understand that there is a problem. That, yeah, my pain might be a three, but my three is somebody else's 30. So it's real and it's affecting my life. And enough is enough, right? And so I think that's that's where I was, was in making my decision, my lifestyle, the percentage of my normal self that I was by the time I made the decision was down to like 20%. I couldn't do as much. I was in pain a lot. I could stand for 10 minutes at a time. I couldn't run after my kid in the street. Yeah, that's a a problem. Right. So, you know, I think for anybody listening who's just questioning, like, how bad is it? Can I live with this? Could I be happy just walking a half mile? (sighs) Maybe I could. You know, this is what we go through. But I'd say when you start to get depressed – when you're not living the life you want or when the people you love are being negatively affected yeah. by what you're going through, then it, it, it is time. It's time to make the big decision. Yeah. So I say all that because that's the process I went through. But I want to really understand, you said you were faced with this like, okay, it's going to be surgery and you're going to do it in two weeks. Like, how did you turn your brain around to embrace the concept that you were going to make this big decision right then? Yeah. So the fact that I hadn't been able to run without pain for six years and I, and I use the running as like, that was the the most excruciating pain that I had, but my back would go out, you know, bending over to pick up something off the floor or, you know, I mean, we, you know, I travel a lot. So like sitting on an airplane was just horrendous, you know, most of the time. Um, I'd have bouts where, you know, I couldn't feel my big toe again or drop foot where, I mean, I would just literally trip over nothing. I'm like, oh, well, my foot quit working and that's great. So knowing, you know, having the athletic training background, knowing how bodies work, I'm also, I'm a certified um, personal trainer as well. So like, I just, I have a really good understanding of the human body that I'm like, all right, the things I'm facing and the pains were starting to get worse too. You know, I was just having random pains in my groin and down my inner thigh. And it would just, I mean, I'd be sitting on the couch and all of a sudden I'd be like, you know, arching like a cat up off the couch from a reclined position because I was like, oh my God, this is what is going on. Like, this is crazy. You know, my family's looking at me like, what are, what just happened? Like, you just like literally levitated off the couch. I don't understand. And I'm like, I can't explain it. I just got this really weird pain and it hurts <laughs> and then it would go away, but it would be, you know, constant. It would do that all night. And, um, knowing how nerves work and that, you know, the longer you go, leaving pressure on nerves or, you know, leaving nerves compromised, the less likely they are to wake up. And it had already been, you know, I was diagnosed at 18. 
it, you know, six years of running with, you know, this excruciating pain. Of course, that was my own dumbass fault for continuing to run. But I knew at that point that I'm like, all right, I'm going to start having like the nerve damage is getting worse. All of the pains and issues that I've been having was nerve pain, but it was presenting in a different way than my previous nerve pain. If I don't do this now, I may never be able to. Or I could, you know, I could screw myself up for the rest of my life if I wait longer. Um, Because that's one thing that I've seen, you know, I I watched, you know, this this Pondy pages a lot, the support group pages, which have been, you know, helpful to see. Um, But what I, and this is, again, this is just my opinion, um, but I didn't even talk to my doctor about it was that, you know, look, if I wait, he's like, yeah, he's like, you could just stop running. And, you know, you'd probably last another five to 10 years without surgery. But that's one, you have to be willing to give up running. And which I always was like, I hate running. This would be great to not be able to run. And I'm like, when it comes to that choice, you're like, oh man, actually it's kind of scary. I liked, I don't like it, but I do like it. And then two, it's what kind of damage are you going to cause over the next five to 10 years? Like, you know, I could paralyze myself or I could cause permanent damage where my drop foot never goes away, even once I'm fixed. So I just am under the mindset of rip the bandaid off. I'd rather do it. One, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting any younger. Not that 35 is old by any means, but you recover younger, better, the younger you are. I mean, it's just the way bodies work. And I'm only, you know, you're, everybody's only getting older every day, every minute, every second. So the longer I wait, the longer I push it off, the older I'm getting, the harder it's going to be to recover and the more damage that's being done. You know, it, it's also, I, I think I'm also hearing that you worked really hard to get through it and sort of fix it on your own. You know, you were oh, just, yeah. I mean, I did, I did all the things. I mean, I was always doing physical therapy at home, you know, looking up stuff online. And, you know, I mean, I did a lot because I, I, I always knew I had a bad back. I just didn't know how bad it was. So I was always doing stuff, you know, at home. I was always, you know, stretching and, you know, massage. I mean, oh my gosh, I my one, my, my best massage therapist ever back up in Ohio in Columbus. I don't even know if he's in practice anymore, but oh my gosh, I could not have gotten through that year, that season of racing without him. I was seeing him every two to three weeks. And I mean, I would leave with bruises. <laughs> he would dig in so much, you know, cause yeah. we were just, we didn't know it was coming from my back. So we just thought it was tight muscles from training and everything. And you know, I've done the massage and the cupping and the dry needling and the acupuncture. And I'd even tried OMT, um, which is osteomuscular osteomuscular manipulation therapy, I think, something like that. Basically, the fascia that runs from like the head to the tip of your toes that covers all the muscles in your body. There's a fascia, like a whole sheath that covers everything under your skin. And it's more prevalent in athletes, but the muscles, because things get tight and whatnot, we don't always, you know, roll like we should or stretch or whatnot. We are all guilty of that. The muscle starts to push through the fascia and that can cause problems. And what this doctor did was he would go and he would feel and find spots where it felt like it was starting to do that. And he would basically push the muscle back through the fascia. Holy painful. I mean, oh my, my, there'd be a few times where I broke out in a, in a, in a hot sweat. I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm like, that was like, but I felt so much better afterwards. Um, I took my husband one time and he's like, oh, I'm done. I'm never doing this again. He's like, this was oh god awful. He's like, I don't know how you do this every week. And I'm like, cause I have no choice. <laughs> So I literally found every kind of therapy that you could do and it it would work temporarily. It worked for a little while, but I was at the point that, yeah, I knew, you know, listen, if this bone hasn't healed itself in what, you know, 20, I guess less than 18 years, 17 years, whatever it was, it ain't going to heal. So the only way to fix it is to fuse it. And, you know, I think 
when we finally reach the point where we realize that we can't fix our bodies, mm-hmm. and now it is time to let someone fix us. It's um, there's both relief and there's a little almost like shame in this whole like you'll talk to people and they'll say, oh, my God, you have to try everything you can before you decide to have surgery. I know a guy in Mexico who does X, Y or Z. And you're just like, I know that the end of the road for my thing is surgical. I know that bones don't grow back. I know that bones won't move back into place without being, you know, surgically helped. And um, I think there's a little bit of shame through this process in a lot of places, you know, I mean, even in our whole conversation, you know, there's this young pregnancy, there's this, you know, decision to have surgery when you're in your athletic prime, because believe me, at 45 to 40, when this thing is finally healed and you get the go ahead, you're going to be rocking. There's shame shame in taking the drugs. I mean, you said it, you're like, I don't want to take drugs. I was off drugs in three days. Like there's shame in that too. But at the same time, you know, part of doing this and talking about it is to get rid of some of that stigma that goes along with it. Like when something's wrong, there are people who go in and try to have surgery for everything. That's the flip side. Exactly. People I know want to avoid getting their bodies cut open. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I mean, at all costs. Exactly. I mean, it's, you know, when I had a, I mean, I've had, you know, my shoulder reconstructed as well a couple of years ago. And it, for, for that surgery, it was kind of the same thing of like, ah, I'm doing everything I can. It's trunk enough. Yeah. It dislocates, but it always goes back. It's fine. And it wasn't until I couldn't get a glass from the table to my mouth without my arm just dropping that I was like, Oh, this is not good. <laughs> I need help. Yeah, and yeah exactly. You no, know, but it was at that point I was like, well, I've exhausted everything. I've done everything I can. There's, I mean, somebody's going to have to go in there and stitch it back together. And I mean, thankfully they did a phenomenal job and it's better than ever, but yeah, I'm just like, you know, it's never, it's never fun. And at that point too, you know, I was in Alaska, so I was already depressed, hating life. Cause I mean, Alaska is a tough place to live. It's Everybody not easy. Right, exactly. And yeah. now I'm, you know, having to give up my athletic career and not be able to race. Cause I've got, you know, it's a year process to recover. And then, you know, that's to be like released from PT, which I was released at like seven and a half, eight months. I was so excited. I released early. I was like, yeah, they're like, oh, it's like a year process. Be prepared. And I'm like, hold my beer. I got this. <laughs> it's going to be sooner. <laughs> and, um, you know, it is, but it's even, you know, with that too, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, you know, everybody's all, you know, you're never, your shoulder's never going to be the same again. And I'm like, I hope so. Cause it wasn't right to begin with. Like, I, I don't want it to go back to the way it was. I want it to be better. And even with the back, you know, I tell people and they're like, aren't you going to lose flexibility or aren't you going to lose this? And I'm like, yeah, but I had too much of that. So like, I always try to look at things on like the flip side as well of like, what are the positives? What's going to come good out of this? And already I'm noticing, you know, I'm almost four months post-op and uh, almost four months post-op my first surgery. And, you know, I, I look at how my body's responding and I'm already lifting weights and I'm, you know, biking and walking. I mean, I did a 5k on Thanksgiving and I averaged like a 13, 18 pace walking. I mean, I was trucking it. Like, I mean, it's, I'm, as, I'm about as fast as I can go without running and that's a no go yet. Um, but you know, I'm like, I'm doing that. My glutes are firing like muscles in the in my glutes that like I could tell hadn't been firing for years are firing now. And I'm like, Oh, this is amazing. Like, this is fantastic. You know, it's like, it's all those little things that you 
kind of take for granted and you don't think about because the other muscles just took over and compensated. It's like, no, that's not, you know, I'll, I'd rather decrease my weights and, you know, not be doing some of the crazy. you know, too many people, it's like, oh, well, I've got this issue. Can't work out anymore. Can't do anything. I can't, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We need to change the mindset. What can you do? Let's go there. Get away from the negativity. Yes. You, you can walk. You can, you, I mean, Tiger Woods, I don't know how many people don't know. Tiger Woods has had multiple fusions in his back. I didn't and actually he, Yeah, actually, he's, and he's, have, but. Yeah, he's and so he's, he keeps coming yeah. back. And he keeps coming back. Yeah, he yeah. has significant back, back problems and he's had discs replaced and he's I think he's had the lower part fused and he still golfs. That's a lot of twisting. Now granted, I tell everybody, yeah, we don't have Tiger Woods' money. You know, we don't have the band of, you know, physical therapists and at-home masseuse and God knows what else he has that, you know, can keep him in that kind of professional level shape. But there's still a lot that we can do. And you know what? It may not be running. It may, you know, everybody's got their own thing that it is that they want to get back, but focus on that. Don't focus on the negativity of the can't, I can't, I can't focus on the, all right, what can I do? Sweet. I did my own load of laundry today. Fantastic. I haven't been able to do that in two years. You know, like what, whatever the case may be, focus on that, that positivity part, and then just keep tackling and adding on to those things. And eventually you'll get to a spot where you're like, man, I had surgery. Like people aren't even going to realize that you ever had this done. But if you always focus on it negatively, then that's what, then you're going to have a negative outcome. You're basically also a life coach. So there, <laughs> nailed it. What can you do? You know, I feel too, like it might be helpful for people who are getting ready to make these decisions for us to riff a little bit on some advice for before surgery and after surgery. Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, maybe we can have a little discussion about how can people prep beforehand? Yeah, that's a good call. So I actually, so although my doctor offered to do the surgery in two weeks, I waited about three or four months before I had my surgery. Um, we live in Texas, whether, you know, in the summertime, it's hot, everybody's at the pool, we had a vacation planned. And I'm like, I'm not missing any of this. So I made the decision, you know, kind of for my mental sanity of look, I'm not going to want to be outside walking every day in 110, 115 degree heat. <laughs> That's just not smart. <laughs> so right. let's push surgery until September when it's, you know, starting to cool down. It was still pretty hot, but you know, it was cooler than like August. Um, I was able to get my vacation in, we were able to go diving, you know, we were able to go do things that we wanted to do prior to surgery. And for me, that was a big mental relief of like, all right, I got to check off. I got to keep working out for a few more months. Um, although I wasn't really running, I was still, you know, pushing my sled up and down my driveway and, you know, my road and my neighbors all think I'm nuts, but it's fine. <laughs> but I was able to like give myself a list of things that I wanted to do before surgery. And I want to go on vacation. I want to go see family. Um, I was able to go surprise my sister in Canada when the borders opened, who I hadn't seen in almost five years. Like I was able to do some of these things that I felt like, all right, even if I'm laid up now for the next six months, I've done enough in the last three months to kind of make up for that time. And that, I think that really helped me from like a mental aspect. Yeah. I, I think that's awesome. It's almost like your little bucket list. Yeah. 
Mine, mine went opposite. So I, I actually had this, I don't know, the world works in crazy ways and tragedies and all kinds of things happen. And you, you just have to keep pushing along. But yeah. I got multiple opinions and I met with the spine specialist, orthopedic rock star in Steamboat in my hometown, you know, know, five minutes from my home. And he was great. And I was like, okay, I feel like he can fix me, but I'm going to go get a second opinion. And mm -hmm. so then I went to Vail, which is maybe an hour and a half away. And I met with a neurosurgeon there. And on the drive home, I was like, you know, I could go with either of them. I mean, the steamboat guy's really close. So maybe that would make it easier. And I called on the drive home and I said, could he get me in this year? And she, cause I wanted to do it immediately. Different yeah. than you. I was like, I'm already done. Like I can't ski this year. My ski season's over. I can't do anything. I'm hurting. I'm going to go with whoever can get me in in December. Yeah. And I knew that the guy in Vail, he goes, can you come in two days? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I just looked at Tim like, I don't know. We ended up doing a week in two days. Cause oh, he wow. goes on Thursdays and Fridays. So I literally ended up there. Um, the steamboat guy couldn't get me in. I said, there's our decision. Let's go with the awesome neurosurgeon in Vail. We loved him anyway. Yeah. And three days later, the steamboat orthopedic doctor, Dr. Devin died in a plane crash. Oh my gosh. Yes. And we were just Holy like, boy. what is happening? Like, you know, in our own little world, it's like, oh my God, if we had gone with him, then we couldn't get it, blah, blah, blah. That's so selfish, right? This guy just died in his family. Yeah. But also it's just this weird, like the world does work in very strange ways. It makes you appreciate yes. all the opportunities that you do have. And um, I will say, aside from that story, one of the pieces of advice I do have for people going into surgery is to be in the best shape that you can be in. Yes. You can have time to get in shape or you're very limited. But a surgery like ours, I was doing minimum of 50 push-ups a day and tons of planks and Pilates. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a whole lot else I could personally still do. But yeah. You know, my doctor recently, two weeks in, cleared me to start doing 10 second planks. I was like, I can hold my plank for a minute already. Right, exactly. Yeah. You're like, I don't have to do 10 seconds. Should I just be doing 10 seconds? But like, I think if you can do whatever you can to be as fit as you can, because Agreed. the recovery is going to be that much better. 100 per, I mean, a thousand percent. I can't even say a hundred, a thousand percent. Yes. Um, you know, I mean, when I went into my doctor for my pre-op, it was my one week post-op and then my one week pre-op appointment because the way my surgery is laid out and he's like, okay, you know, so how, how have you been walking? And I'm like, okay, I've got a log. I've already done like 20 something miles. And he's like, I'm sorry, wait, did you say 23 miles? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, you're tracking miles. Is that too much? You didn't, you told me I could, you told me to walk as much. Just walk, walk, walk. And I am doing that. You know, I'm like, so is it? And they're like, no, most people are going to like the end of their driveway and back. We don't, we've never had a patient come in that had a log of their miles. And I'm like, oh, well, that's because you've never had me as a patient before. <laughs> Oh my God, that is so funny. But he did. I mean, he, you know, when I was just in there for my three month checkup and he was like, you are 
crushing it. He's like, I mean, you just, he's like, can you just be like the poster child for my practice? He's like, everybody needs to do whatever you're doing. And I'm like, well, honestly, it's just a matter of, it's just, this is just who I am, number one. But two, I mean, it's, I want to be able to, you know, keep up with my 17 year old and I want to be able to do things and go out. You know, he's a rock climber. He got into rock climbing because of me and, you know, my husband and I met in an OCR. So like, those are important, like aspects of our life as a family that I want to be able to do, you know, and if I'm always just laid up in pain, I can't do that. Right. And it's like, that's, you know, that's a good way to look at it. And that's a good driving factor. I mean, sure. It's one thing to get, look good naked, but I mean, it's another thing of like functionality too, you know, it's not just, Ooh. you know, about that, you know, it's all of those factors and, and, you know, and assets and, you know, aspects of life too. I mean, even, you know, my day-to-day job, people are always like, you're always like on the go and you always have so much energy in this. And I'm like, well, you know, part of it's working out one, that's my therapy. That's my like, okay, I'm in a bad mood. I'm going to work out. I'm going to be in a better mood. I'm in a good mood. I work out. I'm in an even better mood. (laughs) Like it's just, you can't go wrong with it. Even if it's a bad workout, it's still a workout and I'm still in a better mood. And, you know, it's just, it's, you know, it just revitalizes your whole life. And, you know, that was one thing with, um, waiting on the surgery as well was that I was like, nope, I want to get, you know, my core stronger. I mean, you know, I already had a strong core, but I was like, nope, I want to go in like literally as tip top shape as possible because I know it'll make it that much easier. Yes. You know, it's interesting. Um, so everyone who's going to hit a surgery, get as strong as you can. Boom. But when you yep. do come out the other side, there are some surprises. And, you know, <laughs> I found, I actually want to ask you about this. I think it's hilarious because you posted on one of my uh, Spondy group posts a while ago. But, um, you know, when, you, when you're heading down the, the downside of the bell curve and your body's feeling bad and you're getting depressed and all the things that are leading into you know, getting this, having, making the decision to have surgery, oftentimes your sex life gets <laughs> yeah. curb, right? Because you don't feel good on the way, you know, the, the months leading in. And yeah. um, one of the things is, you know, we decided let's just do the surgery. Let's squeeze it in, in December. Well, I had my 25th anniversary, like 11 days after surgery. And I was whining about how I'm not going to have like sexy time with Tim and all this. And you posted something like, Hey, you never know. We squeezed one in two weeks. I'm assuming your first surgery, but I, yeah, I think it was like seven or 10, seven to 10 days after my first surgery. Like I was the first surgery, which was an A-lift, you know, from the front, I felt great. Like I was like, no pain. This is no big deal. I like looked at my husband one night and I'm like, all right, we're going to figure this out. Like get the pillows, like whatever. Like we're going to, you know, take it easy. You know, no swinging from the rafters or anything. Sorry if my family dials in and listens to this, but you know, Hey, I'm open, whatever. Um, you know, so we just took it easy and we were like, that worked sweet. Cool. After surgery too, was a different story. It did take a little bit longer because I had much more significant pain and, you know, um, problems with them cutting through the back muscles. But even that I was like, we still figured out a way. Like it was, you know, I think too many people, you get afraid to try. And it was like my doc, I even asked my doctor and he's like, there's no time limit. He's like, if you feel comfortable three days later, by all means, go for it. If it's three months, you know, I mean, that's three months, you know, whatever it is. But I, I just, it's where there's a will, there's a way, you know, I mean, it's just, and it sounds silly, but like, I mean, you know, a sex life is important to a relationship and that is, you know, having that intimacy. And I mean, I'm, I'm sleeping on the recliner for gosh, I mean, 
days after the first surgery, the first surgery wasn't too bad. I was able to able to get comfortable in bed much quicker than that one. But the second surgery to my back, I mean, I was on this couch for three to four weeks on mm-hmm. and off, yeah. you know, so it's, you don't even have that intimacy of just sleeping next to your partner, you know, because you're sleeping in a separate room and being a military spouse, you know, my husband has gone a lot and COVID for actually has been good with us for that because he's been home a lot more, but you know, it's like, we're already gone apart from each other enough. And now we're sleeping in separate bedrooms or sleeping, you know, I'm in the living room and you're in bed and he's yeah. such a dear. I mean, he actually slept on the couch the first week after both surgeries until I kicked him into bed. I was like, that is not comfortable for you. There's no way that this, like, I know you're not sleeping well because I'm waking up, you know, trying to move around. And he was so dev, you know, he didn't want me to try to get up in the middle of the night and get something and, you know, have issues or anything. And I was like, I love you for that. And I adore that, but you need sleep because I'm going to need you tomorrow when I'm tired. (laughs) So you need to at least be getting rest. (laughs) Well, and I think, you know, that's a really good point because one of the things you need to get ready when you go into surgery is your team, your recovery team. And usually it's your significant other. And there are people who do this alone, who live alone and they've got to just figure it out. I will say Well, first of all, the sex thing is funny because we're not allowed to bend, lift, or twist. (laughs) Yeah, right. For like months. And so you're like, well, I'm motionless, but it's going to work. Because, you know, we do need to uh, get those endorphins going in lots of different so I and think honestly, I think it helps too, right? You know, like those good, like you said, the, the endorphins that get released, you know, during intimacy and things like that. I mean, that does, that is going to promote healing as well. And they've done studies that the endorphins that are released from intimacy as well are also major painkillers. Mm-hmm. It releases, you know, like the, whatever they do, like their pain blockers. So it also helps with that aspect. So not only do you get to feel good, hopefully, I mean, right, you know, but like, and now you're getting all these other added benefits too. So it's like, honey, let's figure this out. We're going to make this happen. <laughs> you know, I will also say there's, there's other things that are unexpected. Like friends of mine decided they would do a meal train for me. You know, that meal train. Thing? Yep. Oh yeah. And I was like, oh God, no way. I, I there, that's <laughs> weird. Like I'm not going to text my friends and be like, Hey, can you bring me food? But then one of my friends who put it together said, well, I thought it was totally overkill when people did it for my foot surgery, but it actually took all the pressure off my family. And that's when it hit me. And I was like, Tim has to do everything right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He has to not only like take care of every single thing for our daughter during this whole Christmas break, which included her 10th birthday party and Christmas. Oh and my gosh. You know, things. Um, but he also has to like put my freaking shoes and socks on me. Yeah. And like walk with me. So yeah, tie my shoes, <laughs> brush my hair. <laughs> and, and take care of everybody and everyone's meals. And then I'd be like, Tim, can you please clean the toilets? They're really getting gross. But like, it feels so weird to ask. But then I realized, here's the deal. If this little thing of a meal train is going to take some pressure off him, then let's do it. And it was amazing. It just ended. And I like almost want to call and extend it and be like, can you <laughs> two more weeks of meals, anybody who is going through surgery or anything that takes you out of regular life for a while, put yourself together a meal train, ask a friend to put their name on it. If you feel uncomfortable and like send it to people because that thing is a, is a lifesaver. 
Absolutely. I, we, we did have, a, we had a friends that offered to do it and I was in the same boat. I'm like, no, gosh, there's no way in my head. And I looked at my husband, I was like, well, it's up to you. I'm like, you're going to be the one doing all the cooking. And he, he likes to cook, but he's like, no, no, I'm going to be home. You know, I'm, I've got it. No big deal. And we still had a few friends that did it, but it was nice the days when it was like, he didn't have to, that I could tell that he was like kind of relieved of like, oh, okay, one less thing I got to worry about. <laughs> like, this is good. <laughs> So it definitely is. It's definitely take, it was something that, you know, we kind of, we, we probably should have, you know, been like more open to it. Um, but you know, you live and you learn. Now I know that if God forbid something like this happens again, and <laughs> I'll be more like, okay, yeah, let's go ahead with that. Yeah, exactly. Don't be afraid to accept help. Yeah. You know, um, we've been on for a while, but I have a couple other topics. Yeah. I want to hit. Do, are you, do you have a hard sure. stop? Here? Um, I got about 10 more minutes. Perfect. All right. Well, I'm going to hit the big one then. Perfect. So completely unexpected that I would have issues with this. Um, being an athlete my whole life, I've been a very regular pooper. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about, oh, wait, here, let me put a sound effect. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, man, it's real. People, yes, it's like I kind of have PTSD from like the first couple of times. I mean- and, you know, it's weird because you go, okay, well, I'm just going to go off the narcotics and then I'll be fine. But you're no, not. Like, you're not. I, it, no, I tried that. And I was like, okay, then I won't have to take my laxative. And then the next day I'm like, oh, crap. It sucks. Um, yeah. Talk about, talk to me about your poop. Yeah. So <laughs> I unfortunately have never been regular, but it runs in my family. So not a huge shocker there. It's been more regular the older I've gotten, which is good. But going into surgery, I knew like Dr. Prep me. He's like, listen, you know, you're on a, you're on a soft diet or liquid diet or soft diet, whatever it was. Like we have like jello and pudding and like things that I'm like, I don't eat that stuff. Like I don't eat like, oh gosh, what? And for whatever reason, and this, this will come in handy after I finish my thought, but um, every time I have surgery, the first thing I want is a spicy chicken sandwich from Wendy's. I don't know why, but that's like my go-to with fries and a frosty so I can dip the fries in the frosty. That's what I always want. So I wake up from surgery starving, of course, you know, because you can't eat after midnight, but my surgery wasn't until like one or two o'clock in the afternoon the next day. So I'm like hangry. And as an athlete, like my body burns food. So I am depleted. And wake up from surgery. I'm like, okay, I feel pretty good. You know, and they're like, okay, you know, do you want a popsicle? Do you want whatever? I'm like, yeah, like whatever you got, like I'll take it. Not remembering, oh yeah, I got to be on a soft diet or like liquid diet. They bring me in Jello, and I'm just like, ugh. So I eat the Jello. I'm like, can I get more Jello? Yeah. Like an hour and a half later, I get more Jello, and I'm like over here like gnawing my arm off. Finally get home and I'm like, all right, I'm taking my greens. I got my first form greens and my first form reds. I'm like mixing them. I'm like, okay, this is soft. But this, this always makes me have to, you know, go. Nothing, nothing, nothing. It was almost a week. Yes. And I had texted my husband. I had sent him out to the store. I was like, you need to go to the store and get whatever laxative the pharmacist will tell you to get, like, look, look through the, like, you know, they'd give me a whole pamphlet of, I don't remember what exactly, like, they're like, Metamucil, this, I'm like, Metamucil doesn't work for me, I already know that, so I'm like, yeah, I need something stronger, so he's, like, grabbing up all of this stuff, and then I'm like, can you get me some, like, what did I want, I wanted, um, hot and sour soup, like, the Chinese hot and sour soup, and I wanted wonton soup just even for the broth even if I couldn't eat the wontons I at least wanted the flavor I was like maybe like an egg drop and he's like why don't I just get every soup on the menu I'm like okay 
And then as I'm texting him, he's like, all right, well, I'm leaving the pharmacy. I just got all the like laxatives and everything. I'm like, all right, I think it might happen. And I'm like sitting there and I text him and I'm like, cancel the Chinese food, get the Wendy's, I'm pooping. And he's just like, I'm sending like all little poop emojis and he's cracking up laughing, but he was like, all right, I'm getting you a large fry, a large, you know, frosty, all the, I'm like, he's like, do you want two sandwiches? I'm like, no, just get me one. I'm like, I'm good with that. By the time he gets home, I'm passed out in the recliner. So he's like, oh, do I wake her up? I don't know what to do. Like, and I, I'd heard him. So like, by the time I like, he would like gotten like all my food on a plate, like bringing it over. I was like waking up and I'm like, oh, this is the best thing ever. I was like, oh my God. You appreciate things so much more. You appreciate your poop. You appreciate. So much, so much. Food. You know what's so funny? Um, I've finally had my husband go out and buy whatever was at the store. He brought it home, and it's called stool softener. Yes, and I'm yeah. It's stool sampler, and I'm like, wait, that's wrong. <laughs> and, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I'm taking freaking stool softeners and smooth <gasps> tea. And oh, yeah. stuff. and you can't really let up. Like the first one is such a relief because you finally get it done. But like, you got to yeah. stay on top of this thing. You do. Yeah. And it, well, the hard part for me too is the fact that like, because I, I do eat, you know, I, I do eat really well and I do eat a lot of food. Like people are always amazed when they see me eat. They're like, I wouldn't have thought you ate this much. I'm like, oh no, there's a lot of muscle on this body. Like I need fuel. Your body absorbs so much of it that then like there wasn't even much in my system to come out. Mm. Which made it worse because your body's like, well, there's nothing in there. It does, you know, you don't need to go. And I'm over here like, oh my god, I'm like, I look like I'm six months pregnant right now. Like, I just need to go. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Well, you know, I do think there's one more topic before we wrap it up here that I think is important to talk about because it's something that we actually have to advocate for ourselves, but most of the time we don't know the answer, and that has to do with your pain. And um, managing your pain after your surgery. And yeah. most of that is managed through drugs. Yep. And um, for those of us who haven't had surgeries and haven't been on narcotics, and for me who has substance abuse issues, and I was like afraid to take any narcotics because I'm like, it might be too fun for me to be on those drugs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those drugs because I might like them too much. Um, you know, I've been very sensitive to that. But at the same time, when you're in pain, like the pain that I was in and you were in for, you know, days or weeks and I'm still in and I'm still on pain medication for my nerve pain now, um, it, it, it does become a trial and error thing. And so I want to talk just a little bit about how people can advocate for themselves, even if they don't really know what they need. So, you know, you mentioned you were off like the narcotics within a few days, but mm -hmm. I'm assuming you still had pain and, and needed to figure out how to manage it. Yeah. So the first surgery, I was off narcotics in a few days. Um, I took them at night just to make sure I was, you know, so your rest is so important. So I was taking them at night and like along with the muscle relaxers and I, the muscle relaxers, I think helped me more than the painkillers did because it kind of just relieved all the spasms. But the second surgery, I, I've alluded to the fact that that was a much harder surgery than I expected. And we actually finally, right before I was released, we figured out what kind of caused that. And this is the one part where being an athlete and having a lot of muscle actually kind of works against you. Because when they go in through your back, they have to scrape all the muscles and tendons and ligaments off the bone to get to the spine. 
the more muscles and like, like the thicker your tendons are, the thicker your ligaments are, the thicker your muscles are, the more they have to move, which means more pain because more nerves are being flared up and the spasms are worse. So when I woke up from surgery, normally I have really low blood pressure. So normally um, anesthesia really puts me down. Like I don't norm, like I don't remember hardly ever waking up in recovery for any of my surgeries. Um, it's not for until I'm in my room for a few hours that I actually remember it. And I remember waking up in the recovery room screaming, I mean, just uncontrollably. And there was nurses and doctors all around me and they're trying to roll me on their side and put a wedge under me to see if that helped alleviate the pain. And then they're panicking, thinking they messed something up. And then I'm panicking because I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? And they were like, all right, listen, we've maxed you out of drugs in recovery. We can't give you any more. And I'm just looking at them like I made the worst mistake of my life having the surgery. Like, what did I do to myself? And they're like, it's, this is not uncommon. You know, this is normal. Just can you like not scream for 30 seconds? You're literally, your room is right next door. Like we just got to get you into your room. And then the doctor can come in and give you a higher dose of something. And I'm like, okay. Like, and again, this is coming from the person who doesn't like taking stuff. I don't like how I feel on them, but I was like, I need it. And the doctor, when she walked in, she's like, oh my God, it is you. She was the same doctor I had the two weeks prior for my other surgery because they were at the same hospital. And um, thankfully, you know, she's like, man, you didn't take anything last time. She's like, you must be in a lot of pain. Like you like, no, like, we're going to make sure, you know, we get you taken care of. And she pumped me full of actually, they gave me a Dilaudid, which I was kind of fearful of. because I always heard like really negative things and, you know, yeah, substance, like, you know, it is like one of the ones that people get hooked on and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, but I was like, I don't care at this point. I'm in so much pain. And even when I, even when they were getting ready to release me, um, cause I only stayed one overnight. Um, they asked me, they're like, do you feel like you're ready to go home? And I said, honestly, no, my pain's not under control yet. And they were like, well, you know, you didn't take as much like that much overnight and everything else. I'm like, well, I've requested it. It just took a while to get. And they were like talking to the doctor, trying to get other things. So like, I was still in a lot of pain. It's just my pain level is different. And I did tell the doctors and I was like, look, I need something stronger than what I have to go home with. And, um, they did, they listened really well. And, you know, I just explained to them like how my pain tolerance was. And I think just really communication is key. And, you know, again, it's, I've, you know, I've got friends that, you know, who a few times where I'm like, yeah, you know, you might be taking things a little bit too much. You're like, hey, do you really need that much? Like maybe we should start extending the time frames and things. So, I mean, I've seen, you know, all avenues of, you know, some people abusing it, some people not, but it's just, it's important to remember that you have to communicate and you have to communicate it clearly. You can't just be like, well, this drug sucks. It doesn't work for me. I want something else. Like, no, listen, doc, I take this and my pain is still at an eight. Uh -huh. even three hours later, like you have to be very specific and give them really good detailed information because otherwise, unfortunately, we are not only are we in a pandemic, but we're also in an opioid pandemic as well. Yeah, like, we you know, are. it's, it, so it's, and people forget that, that there are a lot of people out there that are fishing for drugs and things like that. And it's not to pick on just you, it's doctors in a, as a whole and pharmacists as a whole have to be careful of what they prescribe and how frequently because it's so much more highly monitored now than it ever has been because of the problems that we're seeing with people over, you know, abusing him. Yes, you are so right. And so, you know, yeah. part of it too is when you have people like you and I who really know our bodies, we know when something's not working for us. Mm -hmm. And those of you who are listening, I want to tell you that if something doesn't feel right, it's not right. And there is always an alternative. Um, I kind of got kicked out of the hospital. I was incredibly nauseous. I threw up all over myself in the car oh. on the way home, hour and a half drive, sitting ramrod straight. 
I got home. I was like, this is like putting me to sleep for like an hour, but I still hurt. So you can change your meds. You can get more comfortable and you do not have to get addicted because if you're very in tune with your body, you will know when it's time to decrease them. But I want to make a point to say that it's in your court to do that. No doctor is going to tell you exactly when to do it. So I think that's challenging for people too. It is. But it's boring. It is very, but again, you have to be your own advocate and really just speak up. Like, listen, this isn't working. And, you know, and keep track. If you've taken something in the past that did work, write it down, try to remember it, you know, have them look through your chart. That should be, that information should be somewhere and, you know, give them a specific example of like, listen, when I had this, or when my back locked up this time, I used X drug and it really worked better than this. You know, if you can be specific like that and tell them an example, they're going to listen. But if you're just yes. like, oh, I just need more drugs, and they're going to be like, mm, but do you really? And it's, again, it's not personal. It's just, it's the world we live in, unfortunately. All right. All right, sister. It is time. We have yes. this one out of the park. Um, I want to wrap with my final question that I ask every guest who comes on my podcast. Yeah. If you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? Focus on what you can do. Don't focus on what you can't do because at the end of the day, you can put anything or you can do anything that you put your mind to. Well said, my friend. All right, here is to recovering like rock stars and getting back to whatever it was that we wanted to do. We are living our best lives. Thanks for joining me today, Amber. Thank you for having me. It was good talking to you, Nicole.